Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We live in constant danger of losing the fear of the Lord. We live in constant danger of losing the knowledge that we're being watched by God. You know, it's very important to keep this in mind. We're being watched by God. I remember when a missionary to Africa, came years ago, spoke here at the chapel, and and he said that he had uh, hired some African workers to build a a long fence for him in Africa, you know, but, and he supervised their work, but then he had to leave for a couple of days, and so he wasn't able to supervise their work while he was gone, and when he returned, what do you think, he found that, you know, there was very little progress made on the fence, so, you know, as long as he's watching them, then the fence go. The, the African workers are working hard. They're making the fence go along. But we stop watching them, then they stop working. And he told them, look, you need to work hard when I'm not here. And they all agreed. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so then again, he leaves for a couple of days. And the same thing happened. They slacked off because they weren't being watched. So the missionary was really frustrated over this. And it came, he had to leave again. And he wanted them to feel as though they were being watched. So he had an idea. And the missionary was blind in one eye. And he had a glass eye. So he gathered all his African workers around him, building a fence. And he told them that, look, I'm going to leave again for a couple of days. And I want you to know that I'm going to be watching you while I'm gone. And then he walked over to a fence post that was there. And he took out his glass eye. And he put it on the top of the fence post. And he told them, my eye is going to be watching you while I'm gone. <laughs> and you know what? Those African workers worked hard. <laughs> they didn't slack off because they thought they were watching them, you know. Well, you know what? We need to feel like those African workers. We can't see the Lord, but we need to feel that his eye is watching us. That's what the fear of the Lord is. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It means to feel Fear of the Lord means to feel as though we're being watched by God. Okay, now, in our last study, we saw how Joseph was cast into this deep, steep-walled, mire-filled, totally dark pit, the cistern. And, and we talked about how Joseph screamed for help. We learned that later on in Genesis. And no one came to help. And now we want to consider just a little bit more of this, of Joseph's terror And what was going on inside of Joseph in the pit? I mean, if you were Joseph, what would you think? If you were Joseph, what would you think when you realized, I've been thrown into a pit to die of starvation, to die of thirst, and there's no chance that any of my brothers are going to change their mind and pull me out of this? 
I mean, what a shock for a young, ambitious, happy young man, you know, who had faced some troubles in his life, but nothing, nothing prepared him for this. So what, what, what's he to think now? I mean, and then after the initial shock, okay, there's the initial shock, there's the terror, there's the cries for help, and now he's resolved to understand, I'm going to die in this pit. So, you know, it's interesting. We can think about what Joseph might have been thinking about in that state. And we can think of him maybe thinking about his grandfather, his grandfather Isaac, and Isaac telling him that, you know, I want to tell you, you know, what it was like for me to lose Jacob, who left, though I'd never see him again, Esau, who rejected God and for all intents and purposes left me. I mean, he must have told Joseph that, you know, when I lost my two sons like that, it's kind of like dying. And, and how he found, you know what I think? He probably told him, I think that a man has to die before he can live. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I. Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or in Romans 6.4, when Paul said, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. I mean, he must have thought of those times when his father Jacob told him how on that memorable night, you know, Genesis 32, when he thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die at the hands of Esau. But then he saw God face to face. And what he said, we can be sure that, that he told Joseph this, but what he said, he, he said, he's why I said to him, son, let me tell you, Genesis 32, 30. Jacob, I called the name of this place where all this happened, Peniel. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So he says to Joseph, Joseph, I saw God face to face there and my life was preserved. I mean, he must have thought about when his father said, my life was preserved. And we can imagine a calmness coming to Joseph as he realized there's some great word in here. It's the word between, the between. You know, between me, Joseph, and these impenetrable walls, there's the everlasting arms of God. You know, between me, Joseph, and this darkness of this cave, there's the light of God beaming on me. And between me, Joseph, and my fears for what's going to happen to me, there's this knowledge that nothing can happen to me that's not in God's will. Okay, now, there he is. And now we saw in our last study that that's what's going on under the ground where he is, and above the ground they're eating. In verse 25, they sat down to eat bread. It's an amazing scene of the brothers acting like heartless beasts, and even beasts don't turn on their own, to be able to eat with the cries of Joseph in their ears. But no doubt, Joseph, when he came, was carrying uh, gifts from their father, like food gifts, like we see later on. Jacob sends down gifts to uh, prime minister of Egypt. And so it's just shocking for us to think that in all likelihood here, they're eating those those food gifts that the father had sent by the hand of Joseph. 
I mean, that's kind of a shocking thought. (laughs) I mean, just think of how many today hate God, and yet what God does for them, as he said, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, Matthew 5.45, he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So, even though men hate God, he still sends them the gift of the sun. I mean, even though they hate God, he still sends them the gift of the rain. It's like the scene of having hated Joseph so much, and really Jacob, because he was a favorite son. They cast Joseph into the pit to die, and then they take the food gifts, and they, they, brought, and they eat them. You know, it's a perfect picture of Psalm 145.9. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Okay, but this scene, this scene is really important for us. It's a very important scene in the Bible. It's referred to. This scene of the brothers having cast Joseph into the pit to die and sitting down to eat and not responding at all to Joseph's state there. It's very important scene, and God wants us to, be, to take careful notice of this scene. As a matter of fact, this scene is what God uses to bring a special warning in Amos. In Amos chapter 6, calls back this scene. When it says in Amos 6.1, Amos 6.1, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the, uh, the house of Israel came. Verse 4, Amos 6.4, Amos 6.4. That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and calves out of the midst of the stall. And then in verse 6, Amos 6, 6, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments. Now get this. And they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They are not grieved for See, the picture here is of personal comfort, of being what's called at ease in Zion. It's of personal enjoyment, lying on beds of ivory, stretching out on couches, eating lambs out of the flock, drinking wine from bowls. And in that condition of self-indulgence and comfort, God says, you're not grieved at the affliction of Joseph. It's clearly going back to this scene. And this is a symbolic picture here. Because it's a, this, this symbolic picture of the brothers enjoying their lunch and all the food gifts that their father sent them and not being grieved for the affliction of Joseph that they caused. I mean, Joseph in the pit is symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and how people can go about their lives of indulgence and enjoyment and feel no grief for how, Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. One essential part of the breaking of bread service that we just had is a grief for the affliction that we caused the Lord Jesus. To not be grieved with how our sins nailed the Lord Jesus to the cross is to to be like Amos 6.6, Amos 6.6, not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. When the Jewish people finally come to see that God is the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus is God, there's just one word that will describe their response to that. It's the word grief. 
grief. Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 12.10. And I'll pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. All this mourning and bitterness will be when Israel is grieved for the affliction of the Lord Jesus that they caused, which is a reversal of not being grieved for the affliction of Joseph that the brothers caused here. Now, as we come to verse 27, now it's really special for us because we get to, in verse 27, hear the conversation between the brothers, specifically Judah. Judah speaks. Verse 20, 20, 26, I mean, 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Conceal his blood. Okay, so Judah sees an opportunity. He says, oh, he says, we already took the opportunity here to get rid of Joseph, but I see three more opportunities here. And first, you know, as we said, there was that opportunity to get rid of Joseph. Okay, then, you know, there's an opportunity to make some money here. There's an opportunity to make some money here. And then... You know, there's an opportunity to not actually be responsible for killing our brother. And you know, there's an opportunity for not having the trouble of concealing his blood. You know, he might have said, boys, have you guys thought that, you know, when he dies, he's going to be the stinking corpse under there? Somebody might find that, you know, smell. Or they might look in there and say, what is that? You know, and so that, that, that's a problem for us. And so now Judah, he comes up with this plan. And he says in verse 27, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him. He's our brother, our flesh. And the brethren were content. So he wants to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Now the Ishmaelites, they're Arabs. And he knew that the Arabs were famous slave traders. In, uh, you know, Africa has two sides, east side and west side, you know. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Anyway, take that down for a note. <laughs> On the west side of Africa with Liberia and all that, we are so sensitive to the slave trading, right? Oh, the British, you know, and the Americans with their slave trading, the cruel slave trading. And it was. But there's an east side of Africa over there. And there's just actually a worse slave trading uh, went on then. And I remember when I was in Tanzania, and um, I was talking to a Tanzanian man there, and he was uh, showing me his picture of his, of his baby girl. And I said, oh, that's really cute. That's nice. What's her name? And he said, the name in Swahili. as a Swahili name. So I said, okay, well, what does that mean? You know? And he said, well, in Swahili, that was the cry. That was the famous cry here in Swahili, that quick, run for the jungle. I said, what, what does that mean? He said, oh, he says, you know, East Africans used to yell that Swahili uh, cry when the Arab slave traders, Arab slave traders, Saudi Arabian, uh, would come over here to get slaves. So they didn't catch you. They said, quick, run for the, the jungle. And because the Arab slave traders, the Saudi Arabian Arab slave traders, have a long history of being cruel to their slaves and thinking nothing of killing their slaves. You know, in the city where we're at, Scandibodies in Ethiopia, there's a problem still. And so there are signs that the Ethiopian government has put up all over at warning women, do not accept the offers from Saudi Arabians 
to go to Saudi Arabia for work. You know, they make all kind of offers. You know, you make all this money and so forth like that. And they are told, the signs say, they will take your passports away. They will abuse you. They may even kill you or put you into a slavery that's like a living death. And so what happened? We lost four women of our staff that yielded to those offers to go to Saudi Arabia. So this is not a good thing for Joseph to be sold to these Arab slaves, these traders, for all intents and purposes. And so Judah has asked for an agreement. What are we going to do with Joseph in verse 27? As if there was a request for an agreement of what to do with Joseph. See, in verse 20, you see the let us slay him, verse 20. Now, in verse 27, it is let us sell him. And so we read about these brothers going from the slay him to the sell him, and they're selling Joseph, it just sends chills up our spines because we remember the words of another Judah, whose name was pronounced Judas, Judas Iscariot. And he went to the chief priests in Matthew 26, 14, Matthew 26, 14, and then and it's uh, recounted for us where it says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will you give me? and I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. From that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. See, Judah, Judas here, he's fast. He's quick to make a deal. Judas is scary. He's make a deal, you know, and what will you give me? And then once he's got the agreement in, then he looks for the opportunity to betray the Lord. And it was all this scene here with Judas Iscariot was all over, what will you give me? And it's important that all along the way in this journey that, that they were taking to sell Joseph, that at any time, any of them could have decided, I'm not in, this is not right, abort this plan, this is sinful, I want to repent of this. But you know, it's interesting because as they moved along this path here, they were continually making decisions to go full steam ahead with the selling and the cover-up scheme. You know, it's just like it says in, in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. So what were the brothers really interested in when they agreed to sell Joseph? Well, their interest really never changed. I mean, if, if they killed Joseph, then that would mean that Joseph could never rule over them, that they would never have to bow down to Joseph as Joseph's dreams had indicated. And if they sold Joseph to a caravan that was going to take him down to a, as a slave to Egypt, then that also mean that Joseph would never rule over them. They'd never have to bow down to Joseph like those dreams said. But what they didn't realize was that by sending Joseph into Egypt, they were propelling Joseph to be their Lord. In the interest of the chief priests in the Lord's day, was to see him die in crucifixion because they were thinking, well, if he dies, then, then he could never be our Lord because they heard him say in John 12, 31, John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And that's the word drag. If I be lifted up, I'll drag all the unwilling men to me. This he said signifying what death he should die. See, when he said, if I am lifted up from the earth to die, that I'm going to drag all men to me. And then he said, and they remember when he said in John 5, 22, for the Father judgeth no man, 
but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And they heard him say, John 5, 27, John 5, 27, and the Father had given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So the chief priests figured that if he died, he couldn't be their judge. And by seeing that he died, what happened? They only propelled his exaltation, just like what happened to Joseph, because it was in the Lord's case that it was following his death at Philippians 2.8. After he was, Philippians 2.8, found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, it was the cross. It was his death on the cross that propelled him to be exalted where every knee is going to bow to him and every tongue is going to confess that he's God. All right, now, when Judas says, we're going to sell him to the Ishmaelites, that was really cruel. Because the Ishmaelites, they were descendants of Abraham. Ishmael was replaced by Isaac. So they always kind of felt... I mean, they were like, you can imagine them as sort of seeking a revenge for that unfair replacement because Ishmael was the firstborn and why did Isaac? So here, here's the Ishmaelites and they've got the opportunity uh, to take a slave, the great-grandson of Abraham nonetheless, the great-grandson of the one who rejected Ishmael to choose Isaac to be a successor. So this is the first view in the scriptures of the Ishmaelites as traitors or merchantmen. And it's in keeping with the view that outwardly, the Ishmaelites, they rose up to become great in trade, but inwardly, the Ishmaelites fell down morally. Not to say that, the, that Israel was, <laughs> anyway. But it's so hard. It's just so hard to understand how Judah can be so callous here as to call Joseph his brother and his flesh, and then they're going to kill him, and then they're going to sell him. I mean, is that what you do to your brother? <laughs> you know, your, your own flesh, you sell him to these heartless Ishmaelites? I mean, when Judah admitted that Joseph is our brother in our flesh, it's like Cain admitting that Abel was his brother after he killed him. When he said in Genesis 4-9, Genesis 4-9, the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, Cain was not his brother's keeper. He was his brother's destroyer. And Joseph's brothers were not Joseph's keeper. They were Joseph's destroyer. So as we see Judah here called Joseph his brother in flesh, he's just proposing to sell him. And the brothers are really a picture of what it says in Romans 131. Romans 131. They are without natural affection, unmerciful. Without natural affection, unmerciful. Okay. So at the end of verse 28, Judah's got the agreement. It says... The end of verse 28, it says, his brethren were content. It's interesting here. This is very interesting because this gives us a little bit of insight into a very important Hebrew word. The word for content here, when it says the brothers were content, is the word shema, which means to hear. That's the famous shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.